Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. And I've chosen to go to Hebrews tonight instead of Psalms because we're starting a new series titled The Characteristics of God's Grace. And I want you to see in the Lord's Word where he talks about the everlasting covenant because our first part of tonight's, our first uh our first part of our study of our series is going to be on the covenant of grace. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, we read these words. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Tonight, I want to, as our prayer time, I want to bring before you first uh, our sister, Nancy Wells. Those of you who know, know Norman Nancy Wells up in Oregon, Nancy was uh, notified this afternoon that her sister, uh, I believe in Mississippi, uh, passed away unexpectedly this morning. So pray for Nancy, if you would. This is something that we're not expecting. Pray for her as she... She's going to be leaving Portland tomorrow morning, or if we're going down to Portland to uh, fly to Mississippi tomorrow morning. So uh, pray for her if you would. Let's remember Brother uh, Pastor Gene and Judy. Uh, Pastor Gene says hello to everybody. Let's keep Mike and Shirley here in our prayers as they continue, uh, Lord willing, for hopefully no more than another week, uh, preparing and getting through the move from their home up here down to the valley. Uh, Sonny and Karen are with us. I don't know if they've gotten through and can hear us yet, but I spoke with, uh, Sonny called me today, as a matter of fact, and we were talking, as some of you know, Karen is fighting cancer um, again, and they were thinking about a week ago that they may have to be, they may have to start making her her funeral arrangements. Uh, she got so sick. Um, we've been praying for Karen, and uh, if it's the Lord's will to take her home, fine, but it seems that it's not. The Lord has uh, given her a great recovery. She's uh, gaining strength quite a bit. In fact, it encourages Sonny enough to where he hopes that the two of them can join us in a couple of weeks when we have our conference, uh, in three weeks, actually. So continue, if you would, to pray for Sonny and Karen. Jamie and her special needs son, Jim, uh, you know their situation. Ed and Donna Anderson, as Donna takes care of her husband as he uh, continues to digress in cancer. Sean, James' friend who uh, is uh, going through a medication change. He has uh, uh, mental problems that has to, uh, that changing his medication uh, makes it very difficult for him to deal with the anxiety of that. We want to pray for Sean. Let's remember Craig Roberts in Kansas, Ron Halsey in Arkansas. Uh, we, we pray often for Brian Skiffington and his brother Matt and uh, their sister Lisa. And uh, not to mention Lisa's daughter over in Tahoe, uh, Bryn and Mike and, and Zeke and, and uh, Ryan. We want to continue to remember them. Remember Shirley's friend, Kate, who uh, has been diagnosed with a staph infection. Shirley, do you have an update on her? Uh, yeah. She has surgery scheduled to have that knee, that, re- that replacement knee taken out. Uh, and that'll be on July 17 and as it stands, I'm going to go out there and be her caretaker while she recovers from that. Where is that again? Minnesota. Okay, going back to Minnesota. Well, at least you'll be there during the summertime. Yeah, get yeah. away from Tucson. Right. <laughs> uh, 
Let's continue to pray for Kate then as uh, she prepares to have that knee removed and deals with the staph infection she has. Remember Roger's son-in-law, uh, Jim, was diagnosed with cancer. And is he, uh, is he still in the hospital, Roger? No, they didn't keep him. They sent him, they, they sent him home. He's still in the fluids coming back again, though. I want to continue to pray for him as he fights that. Pray for our loved ones who still walk in darkness. Our Sunday services this Sunday, special meetings in the Dow's. Two weeks from tonight, our conference, which starts three weeks from tonight. And also, if you would remember our work day, the 17th, uh, the Lord will keep us all safe as we come together and uh, clean the place up for the conference. Anything anybody would like to add before we go to the throne of grace? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for all of your blessings. You've heard our petitions this evening, Father, and you know all the ones that were not spoken. You know all things, Lord, and we trust we trust that you will bless your people, your chosen children, because of your son, the Lord Jesus. All of our blessings flow through him. Father, we ask that you would be with us tonight as we go into your word. Keep our minds and our eyes focused on the beautiful story that we're going to look at tonight. The story of the covenant grace, covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in being gracious to a people. We ask this in our Savior's name, Christ Jesus. Amen. All righty. We have our handouts with us this evening, and I've got most everything put in there. We will be looking into the uh, into our Bibles this evening, John chapter 17. So if you want to turn to John 17 and just leave your Bibles on the side for a moment, uh, it'll be a few minutes before we get there. I have all the rest of the scripture in our handout. So if you want to turn to John 17 and just set your Bibles aside. now. Man's greatest enemy is our own pride, our own pride that says there is no God, our own pride that says I have a righteousness of my own. God must break the prideful heart and give a contrite heart to one whose heart is dead. In our handout, top of the page one, I read, as a sinner, I love to hear and speak on Lord's wonderful grace, his grace to me. The words to amazing grace are the closest, I believe, we in our small human way can come to describing the beauty of God's word, the word of grace. And that's what the whole Bible is all about. It's about God's grace to a people. And grace, as you know, is it means unmerited favor. It's something that we don't deserve. We are sinners before a thrice holy God. Second paragraph of our handout. Tonight, we begin a series of studies on God's amazing grace a study that I pray will delight the very hearts our Lord has been and will be gracious to. I say this up front, we cannot exhaust the depth of his grace. We cannot even number it. But for the sake of our studies, I believe we can look at least a few of the different sides to this diamond. Some characteristics of his grace will overlap with others. Some will mingle together side by side. But it is my intent in this series to grab a hold of each one and magnify it for the glory of my Savior to the best of my ability. Now, we must begin back before a star ever twinkled in the sky, before the foundation of the worlds, before time itself, before anything else was, there was the eternal one. There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one holy God yet three distinct persons. I was asked earlier today, how can you express that? How can you, I mean, 
the the Indians had several gods, but they were compared, you know, the spirit to the, the the animal spirits. How can you make? How can you choose? The, how can you express the difference between those? The animal spirits didn't create the worlds. I can tell you that. And I can tell you, according to God's word, anything outside of God, according to the scriptures, is a false god. And I believe that. And this is what it really comes down to. What is the difference between God's people and the rest of the religious world? We believe God. It says in John 3, 16, whosoever believeth. How many times have we read in this last study in the book of Mark where the Lord speaks about whosoever believeth? How many of us who believe the word of God can turn back and say, I remember a time when I didn't believe any of that. I remember a time when none of that mattered to me. Now, after hearing the gospel of Christ who saves sinners from their sins, I believe God. Why? Because God has given us the gift of belief. Three distinct persons, yet one God. Genesis 1, verse 26. Look at this with me in the handout. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Three times in this verse, the almighty creator refers to himself in plural form. Did you see that? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Three times. And then in the very next verse, in verse 27, God does, he, he, he inspired Moses to write this. So God created man in his image. Did you see that? Singular. So in the previous verse, he refers to himself three times plurally. And then in this verse, he's singular in his image. In the image of God created he, him, he, singular again, male and female, created he, singular again, them. Again, three times. Yet now he refers to himself singularly. I find that quite interesting. In two verses, our Lord declares himself plural. We know that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then he declares himself in the very next verse, singular, three times. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't know, that, just, that intrigued me. The word of God, Elohim, used in verse 26 is the plural form. So what we saw back there in verse 26, it says, and God said, that word God right there, Elohim, is used in a plural form. It's a plural form of Eloi, Eloi, which or Eloi, Eloi, which means deity or almighty. We read in Malachi 2.10, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Again, in that conversation I had, we were talking about one God. We believe in one deity. You know, the world believes in God. The devils believe in a God. But God was not gracious to the devils. The world, the whole world has had one creator written on their hearts. We all come into this world knowing that there's one creator. Those who say we don't believe in any God, that's, that's nonsense. You put them in a foxhole, and I've seen it. I've seen them. They, they'll believe in God as soon as it makes sense for them to do so. Exodus 20, verse 3, on page 2, we read these words, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And folks, that's what we do. 
That's what we do in our nature. We worship gods of our own imagination. If we're not worshiping some God in the form of a religious form at some church somewhere, we're worshiping ourselves. When we say it's our decision to come to God, then we're telling him a lot. We're calling him a liar. We're putting ourselves above the creator, making ourselves our own God. And jealous, our jealous God will not have that. He will either give us a broken and contrite heart and bring us to his son, or he'll leave us to ourselves and we'll perish in damnation. God the Father, God the Son, back in our handout again, uh, third paragraph, page two, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, a great mystery, yet true nonetheless. God was manifest in the flesh. That's what we read in 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. And then I forgot to put this in there, but uh, verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh. That's our Lord Jesus. Now, folks, the Son of God has always been the Son of God. He is the eternal God, just as God the Father is, and just as God the Spirit is. But he wasn't a man. He wasn't flesh. He had to be made flesh. He had to be born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. We all know that story. He had to come into this world, and there's a reason for all that, which we will get to in another day. But today, look at verses four, uh, John 14, verse 9. And Jesus saith unto them, Have I been, back in our hand up, have I been so long a time with you, speaking to Thomas, doubting, or yeah, uh, Philip, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So again, we see where in the New Testament, Christ declares himself to be one with the Father. Not only did he do it here, but in where he said, my sheep hear my voice, he says, my father and I are one. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, we read these words. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That's the Father, the Word. We just read a moment ago in John chapter 1, verse 3, 1 through 3, uh, the Word being the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Last paragraph, page 2. I know there are some familiar verses to most of you. But with these verses, we establish this truth. God is three persons, yet one God. With that truth in mind, we may have an understanding or a small glimpse, you might say, of the meaning of the phrase covenant grace. The great three in one made a promise, a pact between each other to be gracious to a particular people. That's what covenant means. In fact, on page top of page three, we read the word covenant is a word that means pact, an agreement between two or more parties. 
a promise of one to another. Covenant, the word, the original uh, word is bereath, a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh, according, and that's according to the Electronic King James Dictionary. I counted 27 times this word is used in the book of Genesis alone. According to the King James coordinates, it's used 254 times in the Old Testament. Now here I put next some verses in regards to Noah that gives us reference of how that word is used, the word covenant. First we see in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, but with thee, speaking, God is speaking to Noah, with thee, I will establish my covenant, my pact, my agreement, my promise. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wives with thee. Isn't that exactly what happened? Isn't that what happened as we go along and read the continued story of, of Noah? That's exactly what happened. They were the only ones who came into that ark. No other human beings came in there except for the animals. Uh, with the Lord of uh, the Lord assigned into the ark in Genesis chapter nine nine speaking again and I behold and and I behold I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and then Genesis nine eleven through thirteen and I will establish my covenant with you neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant, the pact, the agreement, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of covenant between me and the earth. Now, that's speaking about the Lord declaring I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. He's made a pact with that. And it has. It's only flooded once. Folks, I'm telling you, you know how many times... God could flood, could have flooded this earth for the same reason he did the first time. He could look down upon this earth today and say, there is none, there are none that seeketh after me. And I will, verses, uh, again, chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. Now that's important. Remember we just read back in Hebrews. What was the, uh, let me go back to that again uh, real quick here. Hebrews 13. I want to make sure I quote it properly. What did our Lord said? Make you perfect in every good work. No, that's not it. No, 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 no. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's a covenant that was made. Everlasting is a word that doesn't, there's no start to it. In other words, it wasn't. It didn't start right here and then go on through eternity. Everlasting is a word that means before any before time was ever was. It's an, it's a covenant that was made before time began, before God called anything time. A covenant between God and every living creature and the flesh that was upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, "This is a token. This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh upon the earth." Now that token. That covenant was a covenant of not to return with the flood. So don't take, we don't want to take it any more than that. Now, page four, top of page four, we read these words. The holy, almighty God is a God of promise, a covenant God. God the Father gave a people to God the Son. And we're going to see that in Scripture tonight, to be saved. And God the Son accomplished the means of saving this people. 
and God the Spirit moves in this people, drawing them and revealing that to them the Son of God. And all this was agreed upon before a star ever lit up the sky, even before the foundation of the world. We read in Zechariah 12.1, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. There's the God of creation, the very one who put, the one who formed our spirit within us when we were born. Matthew 25, 34, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world before a star ever twinkled, ever twinkled. This one who forms the spirit of man is the potter. As clay vessels, we are formed for his purpose, his purpose of being gracious to a people, a people that he has loved from before the world was. That's what we read here in Romans 9, 15, 24. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. Well, I'll tell you, that's the free will religions right there. It's my decision. I decided to follow Christ at such and such date. No, it says not. This is God's word, folks. I'm not making these words up. If we don't believe this, then we call God a liar. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up. God raised Pharaoh up to be the man of strength that he was in the world that was at that time for this purpose, that I might show my power in thee. <gasps> Are you telling me God doesn't love everybody? I'm telling you, God hates perfectly, and he loves perfectly. He hates sin perfectly. It must be punished. It must be it must face judgment that I might show my power. He raised up Pharaoh and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardeneth. That wilt say unto, then, to, then unto me, why doth he, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who are you? Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made us thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? See, that's the difference between the religious Christians and, and God's people. We believe God is sovereign over everything. He's the potter over every molecule. He didn't just set stuff out into being and say, Okay, let's see what happens. Our God rules everything. He makes some lumps, he 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 uh, he he hath the pot. He is the potter over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. What if God, willing to show His wrath to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What if God was to endure all of those that were fitted for destruction so that He might make known? the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore. That goes all the way back. That's that eternal 
That's an eternal word right there, a four prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Page five. Folks, this is where the multifaceted, the multi-sided diamond of grace pops with brilliant light. You see, we could be just one of those vessels of wrath. We, used, we walked as one. We talked as one. We lived as one. We lived in unbelief, in denial of who God was. Yet today, by his grace, he's called us out of that darkness, given us the light of his son in our heart to believe on his word. That's what this, that's what this grace that was established before the world was, is all about. It's about calling his people. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, before we go any further with that, I must say this. Everything we have of anything comes from him. There's nothing in me that's worthy of anything. There's nothing in any man, woman, or child that walked this earth other than Christ himself, who is worthy of God's blessings. But we receive blessings in, in heavenly places from him, in him, according, continuing on, as he hath chosen us in him. God had chosen us in his son before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Brother Mike, you're holy right now. I, I know I know you don't feel like it. You've expressed it, but you are. God sees you just as holy as, as his son. He looks at you. He looks at the doorpost of that heart of yours, and he sees the blood, the righteous blood of his son. Nothing of you from before the foundation of the world. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to what? According to me? According to my decision? According to the riches of his grace. I love grace. I love grace, especially when he's applying that grace to me. The people of God are saved by his grace. It was nothing we did or could do. Our doings are full of sin, full of unrighteousness. Only in God's grace and perfect righteousness are we saved. Grace in sending his perfect righteous son to substitute himself in the judgment we deserve, the judgment that we have earned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him... God the Father hath made him God the Son. Now, here's that mystery again. Here's another mystery. Great, Just as great as God being manifest in the flesh, God the Father made his Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Christ didn't do any sin. He never sinned. He didn't even know anything. He knew no sin. He was perfect and righteous in every way, yet God the Father made his Son our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The covenant of old is the covenant of grace, the covenant of love. That's what the three in one made a covenant between each other in the days before the world was. 
a covenant of love for a people, a particular people chosen by God before the foundation of the world, as we read in Ephesians 1 just a moment ago. Jeremiah 31.3, this is the Lord speaking to you and I, folks. The Lord hath appeared unto me, uh, unto, of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an ever, there's that eternal word again, everlasting love, a love that has always been and a love that will always be. Therefore, he says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. As a child of God who knows I would have never come to God, I am so thankful that he has drawn me. Are you? Amen. Look with me at John chapter 17. Are your Bibles open to the 17th chapter of John? And I want you to take note of the language that is used in our Lord's priestly prayer. That's what this is. This is the Lord Jesus Christ himself gone up to the mountain to pray to the Father for you and I. In verse 1 of John chapter 17, we read these words. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him, speaking of the son power, over all flesh that he should give eternal life that he should give. Here's that grace. Here's that grace. This is the grace that God the Father and God the Son had, had agreed upon before the world was given eternal life to as many as. As many as. That means there's a limited amount, doesn't there? So that can't mean that God loves the whole world, can it? This is the word of God. This isn't some man's interpretation. This is what God inspired a man to write. As many as thou hast given him. Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out of thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Back in our handout, bottom, uh, bottom of page five, the language is clear. The language is very clear, what we just read. In the covenant of grace, God the Father gave a people to God the Son. That's who he was praying for there, those that the Father had given him. Yet all men of Adam have sinned. That's what we read in Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, they, for that all have sinned. The holy God cannot look upon sin. So something must be done. Justice must be met. So the son's agreement to this covenant, 
from before the foundation of the world was to provide everything this sinful people need to be redeemed to God. And that's exactly what he did. Listen to Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. And God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. That's where the Lord spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament, sent them to the people. And, and sometimes it would be, as in Judges, the, uh, the, uh, the leaders of the, of the nation of Israel, but through the prophets. But now hath in these last times spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And we've seen that was uh, the Lord Jesus himself, the word of God, that's, uh, that's the Lord who was made manifest in the flesh, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person and upholdings all things. This is talking about Christ. He, he's being the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of God's, of God's person. He's upholding all things by the power of his word when he had by himself purged, purged our sins. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We're talking about the Lord Jesus and how he fulfilled everything according to the covenant, according to the agreement. He became flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. Why? Because God can't die, but a man can. The Lord Jesus Christ was 100% God, yet he was still 100% man. He hungered. He thirsted. He sang. He cried. He knows everything that you and I have been tempted by in our lives. He's been tempted by the same things, yet without sin. He laid down his life and died as a man. Yet Jesus Christ never died. You know what he said to that thief on the cross that day? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Where is that? That's in heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a wonderful word, full of grace, purged. Catharimus, catharismus, that means a washing off, or that is ceremonially abulation, morally expiation. I know, so, you know, that's, that's what you get from a guy who never graduated high school, <laughs> you know, sorry. It means cleansing. It means purification. That which was unclean is now purged, redeemed unto God, Good news to a poor sinner. Are there any sinners here tonight? Are there any sinners looking into God's word with us tonight? Good news to a poor sinner. Christ purged our sins. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained. There's another one of those eternal words, foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse page seven. And last, but not least, we consider the spirit of God's part in this covenant between the great three and one before the foundation of the world. We're talking about the covenant of grace, a covenant, a pact 
between the great three and one to be gracious to a people. Just as we read in Genesis 1-2, which states this, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit agreed to move upon the people of God, giving life and revealing the person and works of Christ Jesus the Lord to those that the Father hath given the Son. And we've already looked and seen where uh, over and over the Lord was given a people. I The order I just gave is right. Life must come first, and that's from the Spirit. Look, Listen to here, John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, that means made alive. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, that made alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. We're talking about the part that the Holy Spirit has in the covenant of grace. Here we see that it is the spirit that gives life. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water. He's speaking to Nicodemus, born of water and of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. A moment ago, he had told Nicodemus that you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I do that? How can I be in my mother's womb again? And the Lord says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Catch this closely, folks. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Here's the part of the Holy Spirit. And thou hearest the sound thereof that canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We don't know. We don't know. How often have I told you folks about the CDs that go out in Arkansas? Our brother Ron Halsey, he's so faithful in that. He'll listen to a CD and he'll take it down into the post office, put it on the post office bulletin board, come back a few days later and it's gone. He never knew where they were gone to. One day I got a phone call from a lady who had been taking them. And she goes, hey, I'm missing number eight. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. She goes, can you make another copy and send it to me? I said, that's the one that the copy machine didn't work. It's the one time we did. That was one that we recorded and we thought we were recording and got over and it was like, uh-oh, what happened? What went wrong? She's like, well, can you just take your notes and do it over again? <laughs> she, goes, I, she drove around the state of Arkansas and she told me, she goes, I've worn all your other CDs out. We don't know where the Lord is going to take Mike Lovelace's free willard and post it somewhere and somebody's going to read it and say, what's this about? What's this about the grace of God that he's talking about with free willard? Mike doesn't see where it goes. I don't see where it goes. We don't know where the wind bloweth. We don't know which way it comes, but we know the spirit of God takes his word and it does not come back void. Uh, second to the last paragraph on page seven. And it, as is the case with Lazarus, Life must begin before we can respond. Lazarus had to have life before he got up out of that tomb and came forth. And if you recall, he was wrapped in his burial clothes, which is like this. And it's all the way down to his feet. The only thing left up is your, is your head. And usually a napkin is put over that. He came forth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, loose him of his bindings. Loose him of, of his burial clothes. Once we have been quickened, made alive, 
The Spirit of God reveals why we have life. Here's why John has life. Here's why John has eternal life. Jesus Christ, my Lord, period. Salvation is of the Lord. Once we have quit, been quickened, made alive, the Spirit reveals that why we have life, not because of himself, but because of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have life. In John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, we read these words. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you. Here's what the Holy Spirit agreed in that pact, in that promise to do. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you the things to come. He shall glorify me saith the Lord, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore saith I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Page eight. Read with me these words of the works of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 through 19. Wherefore I also after I had heard of your faith, writes Paul, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he's talking about. That this is, this is the basis of his prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Folks, the spirit of God doesn't talk about himself. He talks about the Lord Jesus who is the Lord Jesus? He is our wisdom. Isn't that what it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30? God has made unto us, he has made Jesus Christ unto you and I, wisdom. May the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In what? In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the hope of Christ's calling? My name is Jesus. I shall save my people. That's the hope of his calling. He shall lose none, for he is God. And what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 14, we read these words, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of the man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost, that's the spirit, teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And to emphasize this covenant, being of grace. This covenant, Now we've seen now what God the Father's purpose was in giving that promise. We've seen what God the Son's purpose was 
uh, 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 work was in, in making that covenant with the other two. And now we've seen what the Spirit has. But listen to this. This emphasizes that covenant being of grace, not of what man would do. God didn't look down through time and said, okay, James is going to make his decision for me on such a such date. I'll save him. No, he came to James when James was dead in, in, in trespasses and sin and gave him life just like that, uh, just like Lazarus. To emphasize that it's a covenant of grace, the Holy Spirit moved upon the Apostle Paul to continue what we just read with these next words. But the natural man, the natural man, our nature, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. The things of God were foolish to you and I at one time. How often do we have we heard one of the ministers of God say, I was sitting there one day and I was listening to the preaching of God's word, preaching of the gospel by a minister of God himself. And I heard something that made more sense to me than I've ever heard of anything else in my whole life. That's God revealing his word. That was God revealing his word to me. I heard something that day that I'd never heard. And I said, man, that's truth. That's truth. They're foolishness unto the natural man. Neither can he, speaking of the natural man, know them because they are spiritually discerned. Folks, we come into this world spiritually dead. Oh, you can pinch my arm. My back could hurt. I could fall off my bike. I I could say, wait a minute, I feel like I'm alive. But folks, we were dead in trespasses and sin, dead spiritually. When Adam sinned, all men died spiritually. We were spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The salvation of a particular people chosen out of the world of man was determined in a covenant of grace. That's why we started here tonight. You have to start at the beginning. As we go through what I've made a list of characteristics of God's grace, our next one I think will probably be predestinating grace. Uh, Sanctifying grace is there. Redeeming grace is there. Uh, there's several different ones. I, I don't have the whole list right here in front of me now. Uh, but as we go through all of those, we had to start here first. We had to start where it starts, and that's with God, the three in one. It was chosen. These are men that were chosen out of the world, determined in a covenant grace, made in eternity, made in eternity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.